Ladies and gentlemen, Tree Taylor here, back in the treehouse, serving you a healthy portion of this week's top news stories. It's no-nonsense news and commentary you need to know. For Friday, April 23rd, 2021, grab your coffee or your cocktails, and let's get into this week's top news stories. How it started, over a fake $20 bill. How it ended, George Floyd murdered, Derek Chauvin found guilty of that murder. On Tuesday, all around these divided states of America, many people exhaled, albeit momentarily, as the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial was read. Historically, crimes of this nature have seen police officers walk away, living their lives, collecting pensions, or joining other municipalities. So why was this time different? According to CNN Online, the murder of George Floyd stood out from the very beginning, primarily because of the footage that was captured. Yes, we have seen many other instances of footage, but this tragedy had footage from so many angles, along with witnesses in real time, it made it undeniably unique. Additionally, the video lasted over nine minutes and was wrought with emotion from the killer, Chauvin, and the victim, George Floyd, making an unprecedented impression on anyone who would view these videos with any degree of intensity or study. So what happens next? Court officials will now spend time conducting a pre-sentence investigation, a process that will examine Chauvin's background and the circumstances of his crime in an effort to inform Judge Peter Cahill's sentencing decision. Sentencing will happen in eight weeks. According to the New York Times, Derek Chauvin is being held in solitary confinement away from other prisoners due to, quote, fears for his safety. Chauvin is said to be spending 23 hours a day in his cell. Experts believe that Chauvin is likely to serve his sentences for all three convictions at the same time. Although Chauvin was found guilty of three separate offenses, he did not commit three separate criminal acts. He committed one, the killing of George Floyd, which violated three different criminal laws. As I watched the verdict being read, I got an overwhelming feeling of relief I cried a little because I know that one verdict is not going to wipe away all of the pain that many, many murders of watching all of the murders of black Americans at the hands of police have instilled in us. Yes, we got a guilty verdict. Yes, we are thankful. But we are still living in an unforgiving, unbalanced system that has been put in place specifically, I think, for financial gain. I believe racism is big business, but it's also to keep the oppressor's foot on our necks. On Thursday, Dante Wright was laid to rest after losing his life at the hands of yet another Minnesota police officer. During his funeral, Dante's mother, Katie Wright, said her late son had a smile that was worth a million dollars. My son should be burying me, Katie Wright said, overcome with tears. My son had a smile that was worth a million dollars. When he walked in the room, he lit up the room. He was a brother, a jokester. He was loved by so many. He's going to be missed. Dante was just 20 years old when he was shot and killed by a white Minnesota police officer, Kim Potter. In political news this week, House Democrats have passed legislation that would grant the District of Columbia statehood. With a vote of 281 to 206, the House of Representatives passed the Washington, D.C. Admission Act, which would make D.C. the 51st state. 
If the bill passes in the Senate, it would enfranchise over 700,000 Americans. According to NPR Online, statehood advocates contend their cause is also a fight for racial justice. If admitted, Washington, D.C. would be the first state with a plurality of black residents. Former Vice President and presidential candidate Walter Mondale passed this week. Mondale, who hails from Minnesota, served as vice president under President Jimmy Carter and went on to run his own campaign in 1984 against then-President Ronald Reagan. Mondale made history during that race when he chose a woman, U.S. Representative Geraldine A. Ferraro of New York, as his running mate before ultimately falling short to Ronald Reagan. Mondale died at his home in downtown Minneapolis, surrounded by family, According to spokesperson Kathy to him, Mondale was 93 years old. Making our way down to the dirty South, the Florida Supreme Court just says no. On Thursday, in a 5-2 decision, justices ruled a constitutional ballot initiative by Make It Legal Florida to be, quote, misleading. The ruling came after Attorney General Ashley Moody asked for the court to advise whether the potential constitutional initiative would be suitable for a future ballot. Make It Legal's proposal would have left it up to Florida voters to decide whether to allow Floridians older than 21 to possess and use up to two and a half ounces of marijuana. In your COVID-19 update this week, according to the CDC, roughly 40.5% of the U.S. population has received at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose and about 26.4% is fully vaccinated. A report out this week is warning that the country is heading towards a, quote, tipping point in the next two to four weeks where vaccine supply could outstrip demand. The report also notes that younger Americans many of whom recently became eligible for a shot, are less likely than older residents to claim they have or will get vaccinated, a recent poll found. In other COVID vaccine news, you knew it was coming. Here we go. Two of the nation's largest university systems say they intend to require COVID-19 vaccinations for all students, faculty, and staff on University of California and California State University campuses this fall. Several U.S. colleges and universities have also said they plan to require the vaccination. But on Thursday, a joint announcement from the 10-campus University of California and the 23-campus California State University is the largest of its kind in American higher education. On Monday, the Atlanta University Center Consortium announced it too will require all students, faculty, and staff at its institutions to be fully vaccinated by the start of the 2021 fall semester if they plan on returning to campus. AUCC schools include Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse College, Morehouse School of Medicine, Spelman College, and the AUC Robert W. Woodruff Library. We all knew this was coming. I don't like it. I don't like it. And don't assume you know what I've done or haven't done. That's not your business. But people should have a choice. It's your body. You should be able to do what you want with your body. That's how I feel about it. The enrollment doesn't have to go down. They'll just, they can just go to school at home. And I hope these colleges and universities realize this. Okay. Y'all already lost a lot of money last year. 
you are really about to challenge your bag if you are imposing this upon people who just simply may not be ready or trusting to do this. So I'm really going to hope that they share the numbers because people can just go to school at home or not on campus and get the same thing and it's going to cost them a lot less. My son is a student in the California University system. I told him that they were going to make him get the vaccine and he's not going back. He's going to continue on his path but he will not be going up there. He doesn't want to get the vaccine. I will not be making him get the vaccine. It is his body. It is his choice. And uh, yeah, I told him they were going to do this. I told him they were going to do this last year, six, seven months ago. So, you know, we knew it was coming. But hey, baby, we're about to save $17,000. Okay, college scam. No one's dropping out. He is going to continue to go to the same college that he attends. But baby, the money we're going to save, okay? Have y'all ever looked at your children's financial aid, the grants versus the other money? My son did two semesters, yeah, he did two semesters. The total cost was about $9,700 and it was fully funded. He did not have to accept any loans. And so, you know what? We we ain't we we do not buy into narratives that the world creates. I have not raised my children to do that. They can get married if they want. They can they can they can live their life in a manner that feeds their soul. It may have, everything has consequences, not it may. Everything has consequences. Consequences doesn't mean bad. It can mean good, but they can go to school if they want to. They cannot go to school if they want to. That is their choice. But what we not gonna do is sign up for the Hebrew plan where we go into slavery after we spend four years in a college institution. And Cameron's tuition was $9,700 because he stayed in our home and went to school. If he had had the college experience, which he is entitled to, he would have had to take $17,000 worth of loans to live in the dorm and all of those fees and get a meal plan that would be Monday through Friday, twice, two swipes a day. Listen, no. Mm-mm. We're not doing that. And sometimes, so I'm not, I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm not thankful about the virus, the pandemic, but the pandemic changed the game for me. And it also helped me to not have to make some decisions that might have been a little more challenging, such as this, like to take $17,000 of loans to be able to sleep and eat and function, I just, no. And in California and probably everywhere, you can go to a community college for free. And Cameron had already come to that decision. That's my son's name, Cameron. He already came to that decision on his own. It's partially because of, you know, I raised Cameron the last five years, four years, And so we experienced a different measure of financial 
responsibility with it just being me and him. And there was a lot of no's and there was a lot of we will when we can versus when I was married for 20 years and whatever you want, just get it. Yeah, let him have it. Let him have it, tree. You know, he didn't really get that the last four years. So he has a different perspective on getting to the same destination, but on a different route. But what he also knows for himself, he doesn't want the vaccine. And so next story. In lifestyle news this week, a Mormon sex therapist is out of a job. In a letter she received on Wednesday, Natasha Helfer has been kicked out of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints following a disciplinary hearing. Helfer challenged the church publicly about their policies on sexuality. Helfer has let it be known she is an advocate of same-sex marriage. She also counsels that masturbation is not a sin and says pornography should not be treated as an addiction. While not a lifelong ban, taking away a person's membership by church leaders is considered the harshest punishment available for a member of the Mormon faith. The Mormon faith teaches that sex before marriage is bad, to engage in passionate kissing, touching another person's private parts, or arouse emotions in your own body that are supposed to be reserved for marriage is also a no-no. Homosexual relations are also forbidden, even if a person is married or in a relationship. Ha, <laughs> religion, the original fake news. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, the Mormon church has a sex therapist on staff? Who knew? Secondly, how did they come to this decision? Did they schedule a Zoom call with God and then find out what she wanted to happen? Actually, I take that back. A God that is kicking folks out of church is definitely not a female God. It's a man. Dear Natasha, girl, this is tree. And this is messed up. Yes, I know you've been a member since you were five years old. It's okay. I get it. But Natasha, their club, their rules. But real talk, girl, and this is on Mary Had a Little Lamb, by the way. Without a doubt, I can see that you are God's favorite girl. And I can say that because I, too, am God's favorite girl. But seriously, how do I know you're God's favorite? Listen, being kicked out of that type of fuckery thinking has to be by far the biggest win of your life, Natasha. Now, go forth, be happy, and create your next story. In other news, in entertainment this week, ladies, Dr. Dre is back on the market. According to Page Six Online, Dr. Dre and his wife have asked a California judge to sign off on legally ending their marriage. The former couple may be single again, but the battle over how to split up the couple's $800 million fortune has yet to be settled. The act of signing will simply allow Dr. Dre and his former wife, Nicole, the freedom to remarry while they hash out the financial issues. Hmm, on the market? I mean, Dr. Dre has had many trysts during that marriage. In fact, isn't he dating someone right now by the name of April? I don't know the girl's last name. I think this should have read, Dr. Dre's wife is officially on the market because Dre never left the market. Of course, the internets went wild over her right to that $800 million. Why do people think that if you get a divorce, you are not entitled to benefits, especially after you put in on this? 
on Instagram at Kuppa Not Super said, It's so fucked up how a chick can walk away with money she didn't earn. Shaking my head. At What's the T said, Don't nobody want him. She's right. At Amina J Vanity had this to say, Y'all should be saying his wife is single. Fuck him. Respectfully. Agreed. And at The Young Genius had this to say, Watch this be who Kim Kardashian end up with. Ooh-wee. Now that, mmm, mmm, mmm. Finally this week, it's time for another episode of I Call Bullshit. On the docket this week, CNN's Don Lemon. Don has a new book out, This is the Fire. The synopsis reads, The host of CNN Tonight with Don Lemon is more popular than ever. As America's only black primetime anchor, Lemon and his daily monologues on racism and anti-racism, on the failures of the Trump administration, and of so many of our leaders, and on America's systemic flaws, speak for his millions of fans. Now, in an urgent, deeply personal, riveting plea, he shows us all how deep our problems lie and what we can do to begin to fix them. With a powerful rundown like that, I was shook Wednesday night watching Chris Cuomo hand the show off to our good brother Don to hear him say this bullshit. You know, we were, you know, you were really actually, you were, to be honest, let's let the audience into something. Uh, So Don and I heard about this story last night on social media while we were doing coverage for you of the Chauvin verdict last night. And the initial reports didn't seem right. And it was so interesting for me as emotional and personal as these stories are to someone of color, especially Don, you with your background, you were cautious about it. You were saying, huh, Mm. I want to see this one. I want to see this. Um, Because there was a lot of emotion and understandably so, you got a 16 year old kid that's gone. Yeah. And it's a hard one. I do not know how to explain this to people in a way that doesn't make somebody very angry. Well, Yes, and we're dealing with a lot of emotion right now, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And I think that is, um, um, it's real, and you have to take that, that part has to be taken in, into account. There's a lot of anguish, that people are very emotional right now, but we've got to be fair about what happens when police arrive at scenes. It is tragic that it's a 16-year-old girl, just as it is tragic that it's a 13-year-old in Chicago. Um, when police are chasing people, they don't know how old they are. And they don't run and say, hey, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. You know, my mom let me, that you don't know that. Or I'm 16. When they roll up on a scene, they see people tussling around. Someone has a knife. And their job is to protect and serve every life on that scene. And if they see someone who is in the process of taking a life, what is that decision? What decision do they have to make? And I know that people say, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. Tasers don't work the way guns work. Not at that, not at that distance. Not at that distance. And And not with that amount of time. Yeah, right. Tasers, then they don't always connect. So you've got to get, you know, two prongs or what have you, and it's got to connect. What in the hell? (laughs) Yes, Don. We do have to be fair about what happens when police arrive on the scene. Let me refresh your uncut hairline, sir, about what happens when police arrive on the scene of incidents involving white children. August 25th, 2020, 17-year-old child by the name of Kyle Rittenhouse was walking his white crazy ass down a Kenosha street in front of the damn police, armed and dangerous, 
carrying a military-style semi-automatic rifle. He murdered two people during that incident, Don. 15 minutes or so after the incident, you know, the one where he committed murder, police officers drove past Mr. Rittenhouse and the other armed civilians who claimed to be protecting a car dealership. What did the police do, Don? Well, of course, they offered water to Rittenhouse and his cohorts out of appreciation. After this white child shot at or up or around another group of people, he walks with his hands up toward the police vehicles as bystanders tell the police officers that he had just shot people. What did the police do then, Don? <laughs> the police drove by him without stopping on their way to assist the victims he just shot. Ladies and gentlemen, hell has surely frozen over if this Negro Don is going on national primetime television to shuck and jive this narrative. We don't have all of the facts about the incident in Ohio as of yet, so I don't want to give this all of my energy. I realize it's not comparable to George Floyd, and no one is trying to make it that. I have not watched the video because I can't take all of that. This week or any week, I usually don't watch any of those videos. I don't want to watch it. People have said the cop had to save the girl who was about to be stabbed by Micaiah. Could he have saved them both? Did you watch the video? Am I being triggered again this time by Don as a result of all that trauma? I guess a taser wasn't available again. You know, sometimes it feels like some shit just doesn't need to be discussed in front of visitors, Don. Your commentary felt terse and insensitive to the state of the nation and where we are and what you claim you want to do in your book. It's almost like CNN was trying to trigger me. Your choice of words. We have to be fair about what happens when... Oh, wait, I'm going to do my dominant. We have to be fair about what happens when police arrive on the scene. <laughs> that part, that part just sent me. When I sat in my living room on January 6th and watched an angry mob of grown-ass white people storm the Capitol, and not then or now have we seen any consequences for that act of treason. Then there's the whole setup by Chris. Getting Don to share his opinion. That part right there felt real sus to me. You know, we were... You, know, you were really, actually, you were, to be honest, let's let the audience into something. Uh, so Don and I heard about this story last night on social media while we were doing coverage for you of the Chauvin verdict last night. Like, did Don know Chris was going to force his ass out? Was going to force him to tell us how he really feels? Maybe it's just me. I mean, I think the volume of all the other times children are being murdered by the police has created an initial response from myself and other black folks. And Don, there's a time and a place for you to share your truth. But on this one, sir, the term too soon comes to mind. Your comments present as having little or no compassion. And sir, you are held to a different standard. I am deeply disappointed in the narrative you presented Wednesday night. Micaiah was a human being. Your comments dehumanized her for me. And if a trained police officer didn't have any other choice available to him than to shoot that girl, I, I just, I, I, I want to understand. Yes, we know she had a kitchen knife, but I want to understand what happened to talking people down or calling her name. Like, the police just be running up in shit ready to go. We know that. 
He's supposed to be the trained expert. I just don't know. I just don't know. And then, why were grown women at that girl's house trying to fight her? What was Micaiah afraid of? That she would need a knife to protect herself from those women. And again, I can't get over you allowing Chris to lead you into that lion's den. Yeah, Don, I call bullshit. Another time, another place, another consideration for words would have definitely been more appropriate. I'm super disappointed in you, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all I got today. I'm Tree Taylor. Thank you for hanging out with me in the treehouse. And remember, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, abundance is your birthright, darling. Bye for now. Thank you.